Between work, family, and life, going to the grocery store can be a major inconvenience. With ButcherBox, you'll be saving yourself precious time that's better spent elsewhere. ButcherBox offers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Translation, no antibiotics or hormones are added to your food, and you can rest assured you're not eating weird chemicals. Plus, ButcherBox is a certified B Corp, which means they meet the highest standards regarding their social and environmental impact. Even better, your ButcherBox orders are shipped directly to your door for free. And you can customize your plan, so all you need to do is place your order and wait for exactly what you want to be brought right to you for free. They also have tasty recipes and cooking tips to make mealtime easier. We use ButcherBox at our house and we couldn't have been happier with all the delicious options. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com lisk and use code lisk to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Again, go to butcherbox.com lisk, L-I-S-K, and use code lisk to get 20% off today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Mopac Audio. Thanks for downloading this bonus episode of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer. I'm Chris Moss, your host. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. And please follow us on all social platforms at Lisk Podcast. My name is Bear Brodsky. I grew up in um, Great Neck, New York, and I also spent a lot of my time growing up outside of Knoxville, Tennessee with extended family. On part one of today's bonus episode, we were finally able to talk with Bear. If you don't know that name, or it's been a while, Bear had gotten close with Amber Costello, the last known Liz victim, in the months before she went missing in early September of 2010. Amber and Bear met a few months before that in rehab, and once they were both out, he ended up moving in with her and Dave Schaller at his house on America Avenue in Babylon, Long Island. Bear was able to give us more insight into who Amber was, what life was like during the time they were together, and he was able to add some more clarity to her timeline. So not only did I grow up with the New York City, Long Island experience, I also grew up with the experience of the boondocks because it wasn't Knoxville. It's on the outskirts, kind of off the Smoky Mountains. So I had very, very two different upbringings at the same time. You know, when I was younger, when I was eight years old, I was sexually assaulted as a kid and it didn't have the impact I thought it had on me until later on in life. When after I went to prison, I had time to sit back and explore, you know, what led me to going to prison. And it took a lot of self inventory and getting really uncomfortable. But 
you know, it all went, stems back to that trauma that I went through from when I was a kid. I was a really angry kid and nobody understood why. And, you know, I didn't disclose what happened to me until I was 18 years old. And I started messing with drugs right around after that time. You know, I told my mother what happened to me because one day she sat me down because I was so angry all the time. And, you know, this explosive rage I had, she's like, you know, what's wrong? You know, what, what's, and finally I thought my mother deserved to know. So I told her what happened to me. You know, the reaction from my mother was so devastating to my heart. You know, seeing my mother's eyes just break like glass. I attempted, I attempted suicide. And I happened to call my grandmother up to say goodbye. And that was it. You know, I hung up the phone. She called my uncle, who actually called 911. And those paramedics kicked the door in that trailer and found me on the floor. I, I overdosed myself on a bunch of pharmaceutical pills. And I put myself into a coma for three weeks. Nobody knew if I was going to be brain dead or not when I woke up. And um, fortunately, you know, I was, you know, I was on a ventilator for a long time. And um, they took me off the ventilator with hopes that I would be breathing on my own. And I, and I was. And um, I woke up. And I came back to New York. But this was a subject that took me a very long time to disclose or even talk about. But I'm at the point where I'm in my life now where I'm able to talk about these things. Because, you know, if you don't talk about it, nothing heals. Well, I just want to say I'm glad you made it. Uh, I'm glad you were able to share that, that trauma from the past. And then I'm glad you failed at trying to end things. You know what I mean? I'm glad that didn't work out. And I'm glad you're still here. So, uh Thanks for being honest about that. That's tough stuff. It, it is tough stuff. And, you know, this is why me and Amber also had a pretty deep connection. I will never go into details what she, you know, entrusted in me with what happened to her. But we, we all know that Amber has had trauma in her life. I had trauma in my life. So we really were able, we connected on a lot of levels, you know, we were, I, she understood me. I, I, I understood her, you know, to an extent and we became very good friends. So, so you move back from Tennessee back to Great Neck and you start, you know, kind of messing around with some drugs. After I graduated high school, I really didn't frequent Long Island much. I was pretty much on the lower East side of Manhattan. That's where my, my circle of friends were, you know, every, everybody I knew was in the city so i kind of put long island behind me in a way i mean but the rehab that i met amber in was not my first attempt at rehab i was going to i've probably been to three rehabs before i met amber if not more i met amber at a rehab in port jefferson suffolk county called saint charles hospital drug rehabilitation floor 28 day program and they separate the men and women there but you still have time and like, you know, when you eat and stuff like that and during groups, everybody's together and being able to just talk. She said she was some down south and I have that, you know, somewhat down south connection of my own. So, you know, we became friends and she got out before I did, but she left me her information. And the first time I ever saw Dave is when Dave and Kim came and picked her up from the rehab. And I said goodbye to Amber real quick, and she introduced me to Dave very briefly. They were only there to get Amber, get her stuff, and get her 
out of out of the the program. So I completed about a week or so after she completed, and I went and stayed with my mother's boyfriend on Long Island. But me and my mother's boyfriend then, and who is still her boyfriend now, have never really seen eye to eye. So I happened to talk to Amber. She called me up to see how I was doing. I'm like, to be honest with you, Amber, I'm really not doing too good. I'm constantly nose to nose with my mother's boyfriend, and it's, and I'm getting worried this is going to turn into something bad. You know, I don't want to get into a physical altercation with this man you know it, it was bad so amber offered she said well why don't you come and stay with us in west babylon for a bit i was really shocked you know i was like sure when can you guys get me they're like we're on our way now they picked me up and they brought me over to america avenue so when i first got to the house i mean the house was immaculate Dave's a really interesting guy. And I got I have to say something about Dave. Dave had his, you know, commercial captain's license for ships. You know, I, it's an extremely hard test. You know, weather weather patterns alone is a very hard thing to, to study and pass. Dave, Dave's a very smart guy. He's a very hard worker. There's not much Dave wouldn't do for somebody. And he and he came and got me without knowing me and made his home my home, you know? Wow, so that, I did not know that you didn't know him. I thought you kind of knew him before rehab. So you had only met Amber in rehab. And how nice of her to say, hey, how are you doing? You're like, I'm struggling. And she's like, come stay with us, even though we know how it turned out. But still, she had a good heart. She really she really did, and she really cared about people. You know, not only did she really care about me, she cared about anybody. She was just a really, really good-hearted person. And you have to understand, I only knew I only knew Amber for about five months, and the time that I spent with her, I brought her to the city, and she just never, she would never pass anybody panhandling, anybody struggling, you know. Even if she didn't have money to spare, she would still give it. This is just the type of person she was. And you know, when they brought me to America Avenue. Like I said, the house is immaculate. Dave had like two cars. He had, he had a you know beautiful entertainment system. His uh, you know, great you know bedroom set. He, he, it was a beautiful house, and I was really comfortable there. They made me really comfortable. They're they're really really good to me. I don't really recall exactly how the relapse happened because I I, I can't pinpoint the the reason or how it happened. But when it happened, the, the progression got bad fast. So let me ask you this. So you, you're living there with Dave. Tell me the setup because Kim wasn't living there, but was Amber, who was living at the house? Where was Kim? What was going on at the house when you first got there? Kim showed up one day and I, rem I remember this is the first time I really met Kim. She kind of like sat down across from me with like, you know, in jeans and I don't like legs spread open to like her hand on her knee and like look at me in the eye. Like, you know, what are your intentions? So like, I'm, you know, she kind of like grilled me and I'm like, I, I don't have any intentions besides just staying out. So I get myself on my feet and keep in mind, this is before we relapsed. We were doing really well. Everybody was doing well, you know, 
So I met Kim and, you know, she kind of let the, the intensity down a little bit after getting to know me a little. But she never really stayed at the house. Her and Dave would spend time together, whatever. But she never really slept there or anything like that. She stayed in Lindenhurst with her children's father and his family. And but she was a she was a steady figure coming into the house. And if I'm not mistaken, she was she was doing well for a while because when I met Kim, I had no idea that she was a prior drug user or anything like that. Amber never told me anything like that. So and she looked healthy. You know, you could tell if somebody's using or not relatively if you have been in that in that cycle yourself you know you could sure. kind of spot another person that's using and i didn't get that vibe from her then shopify's already taken the cash register online helping millions sell billions around the world but did you know shopify can do the same thing at your retail store give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with shopify shopify point of sale is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify has everything you need to sell your customers in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse partner that can track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. It's easier than ever to connect with customers online and in line too. Shopify helps drive sales with their nifty plug and play tools to get the word out on TikTok, Instagram, and pretty much any social platform. Shopify has the hardware that'll fit your business. Take payments by phone, turn your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device to alleviate all those sales headaches. And if you ever run into problems, Shopify's award-winning support team is there to smooth things out. Do retail right with Shopify. So sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash LISK. That's L-I-S-K, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash LISK to take your retail business to the next level today. One last time, go to shopify.com slash LISK. And so when you moved into the house, you guys were sober. Dave, you know, he had his house, you know, he was working. Were you working yet, or were you still just adjusting to life outside of rehab? What was Amber doing? I don't, I don't recall Amber working any type of job, and I definitely would remember Amber working. I remember Dave working. Me myself at the time was not working, and I was actually on the methadone clinic in Manhattan. But so every day I had to be driven to Babylon train station, dropped off. I'd have to go into Manhattan, down to the Lower East Side, to the methadone program with one of them that's down there. And then come all the way back to Babylon. And that's it's a real, it's a hell of a commute. So, you know, I can't really say what was going on during the day, every day, because six days a week I had to be in Manhattan for a certain amount of time. And that's, a, that's a big part of the day is just get there, getting back. It is, but I, I want to I wanna note that we were sober at the time. Once I relapsed, we all relapsed. I don't know which one came first, but I stopped going to the methadone program. The only time I was going into Manhattan was to pick up drugs for us because I had no – have dealt with really one or two people for a very long time and that was just how i have always conducted business with in terms of getting the the heroin yeah so you know and so it seems like you got there 
things were going okay. Tell me, um, do you remember like how that turned and you guys started using? So when we first started using, it was me and Amber that started using first. Dave didn't, he wasn't involved in it in the very beginning. There was about a week time when it was just only me and Amber using and Dave wasn't even, I, I think he got the notion that something was going on, but he wasn't involved in actual drug use in the beginning. And, um, you know, I can't exactly say how he got involved with, you know, I, I think it was more like, you know, if you're doing it under this household, then you, you know, I guess I want to get high too. And Kim was, we, we were taking a ride to the city so I could grab us something. And the issue of money came up on Amber's side, you know, because I, I can't, I can't support, you know, me, me and Amber's drug addiction on just on what I was making. You know, I wasn't making any crazy money, but I had my own little hustle going on. Apparently Kim was doing this the whole time. Like, you know, and she was um on Craigslist and they ran this idea past me and Dave while we were driving to Manhattan that they had a way to make good money. And they said that, you know, they danced when they were down south and whatnot and it was just a conversation I knew where this was going. And, you know, me and Dave just flat out told them, like, if you're saying that you're going to put yourself on back page and Craigslist, then just you have to be honest. Don't lie to us. Just say you're, you're dancing because it's not what it is. Be honest. And so the honesty came out and they were like, you know, yeah, we – we used to do this down south, and me and Dave looked at each other, and we told them, there's a hundred thousand other things we could do to make money. We could go boosting from stores. We could do this. We could do that. You know, it doesn't have to be this. This is a really bad and dangerous idea. And when I think of this kind of work, you know, I'm thinking of not only the danger that she's putting herself in, but also, like, the, the trauma that's being added onto your life. You, do you understand what I'm saying? For sure. Because anytime a woman, I mean, listen, I, I've never sold myself, so I can't relate on that level. But I think I, I could pretty much assume that you don't want to be doing this. You know, the money's great, but you'd rather be making money in a different way if the money was that good coming from a different source. But it just so happens that it's an extremely lucrative business. And they were hell-bent on doing it. I was more talking, trying to talk Amber out of this, you know? But her sister was, you know, telling us how just safe this is and how much money's involved, you know, this and that. And we gave in. We said, you know, fine. If you're going to do this, then I guess we'd rather try to protect you guys. Or not you guys, because Kim did her own. Kim didn't do calls at the house. Kim had her own thing going on wherever she did her thing with her own clients. She was very protective of her clients. So Amber, when she said she would do dances, it wasn't always a lie. It wasn't really a full lie because some of this men just wanted dances. Some of this men just wanted to get kicked in the nuts. You, you know, it was, it was bizarre stuff going on. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it started off, and you know, we she went and got herself a prepaid card, 
took a picture of herself and posted herself on either Craigslist or Backpage. And let me tell you, man, the second she hit send, it 10 minutes later, that phone started ringing. What was the plan that you set up? Like, you're like, okay, if we're going to do this, here's the plan for doing it at the house and all that. Can you talk about that? Okay, so the plan at the house was, you know, Amber set her price, whatever her price was. I think she set a rate for like $150 for half an hour, $100 for an hour, but that's really not how it goes. You have to understand, I had no knowledge of the sex industry before this. You know, I mean, I've known, I've met people that have done this, but I was never around it, you know, while it was going on. So it's not really ever half an hour or ever an hour. The man finishes and the clock stops. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to get graphic. No, I think we all get it. Yeah, for sure. And then the plan was you, you and Dave would be there in the bedroom. Talk about that. Okay. So the people that came to the house, the clients had no idea that me and Dave were in the back bedroom. And, um, so, you know, we knew these people would be coming to the house. Me and Dave would get in the back. So if I open the door, the door swings inside of the bedroom facing. So if I open the door a crack, you can't see the the inside of the bedroom from where we're where we are sitting. They would just see darkness, but we could we could hear. And, you know, we could even peek our eye out real quick and like you really wouldn't know we were there. And. There was like little code words and stuff and she started feeling uncomfortable and you know for us to be like a little on edge she would she would say something you know there was like there was like a safety system involved you know there was always music playing low you know it, it, it's just how she did what she did and if the music started like changing then it, we know it's a situation going on and she has to you know whatever the person has to go there wasn't there wasn't many situations in the house that it got to where anybody got aggressive with her. You know, it, some guys wanted dances, some guys wanted whatever they wanted. Amber had limitations on what she was would do. And she would let these people know that, no, you know, this is not happening, it's not happening. A few times, me and Dave did have to come outside and, and make a couple people leave. Now, there was this one call that was, you know, this guy was just, it was taking a long time. I just wanted him out the house, so I jumped out the bedroom with <laughs> with no clothes on and acted like I didn't see what was going on to my right. I went into the refrigerator that's directly across from the bedroom, and, you know, Dave is just dumbfounded. He's like, what in God's name are you doing? You know, I just got naked in front of him and just walked out, and I looked, you know, I, I grabbed the beer and I looked at them and I said, you know, like in the best, you know, Southern accent I could pull off, like, oh, hell no. What y'all do? What are you doing with my wife? And then I went, and this dude flew out the house. I mean, he literally turned the couch backwards getting out the house. And he was dressed, you know, it wasn't like he was naked or anything, but this is why it was just taking so long. And, you know, and that set off a series of events that one thing I did. I wish to God that we just left it honest business instead of this hustle that we created. So 
regularly we would me or Dave would jump out the back window of the bedroom after like 10 minutes of them coming inside and we would come in and unlock the door like we're coming home from work and these people would usually be really startled and be like oh my god I'm so sorry and just leave nobody wants to get into an altercation or anything you know but as I mentioned before you know I didn't know that these that they had these websites up that clients would you know rate their experiences and Kim comes storming into the house one day and she's like you idiots look and there was just posts after posts after posts of like you know conversations going on I even think it was posts it was more like yeah it's kind of posts I, I've seen them before but where yeah they're talking about hey there's this girl named Catalina yeah, it, and she's really good at this and you know it's kind of like yeah, a Yelp for this, it, this exa world. exactly that's a, that's a much better way to describe it you know now I look back at it you know what I was seeing was you know like like real serious death threats like these people were like really pissed for good reason. So after, you know, Kim came and she was very upset and she's like, you're killing business. That was like, you know, it's dangerous, but her main thing was like, you're killing business here. Nobody's going to want to see Amber anymore. You keep doing this, you know? So it was really shut down. It, it just became straight exchange. You went back to kind of just services rendered. Yeah. You, and, you know, Amber's choice. Of course, you'll know, listen. We we did not pimp Amber out. Amber was her own entrepreneur. She she did what Amber done. We didn't see any profits out of it, nor would we take any profits out of it. Now, if Amber wanted to share drugs or put food in the fridge, which she always did, and I always share my drugs, and I would put food in the fridge, and so would Dave. You know, it was just everybody had their own income, and we all put the pot in together, and we all lived well. And as I mentioned before, you know, every day is not a great day. Some days she would never get a call rainy outside. So it's something, whatever. And then there's some days where there's six calls and money's flowing for her. There were days we had to go out and make money in other manners, you know, to get what we needed. So it wasn't just like a regular steady thing. Like some days... You know, she was able to save something for the morning. I was able to save something for us in the morning. Dave had something for the morning. Because if we didn't have something for the morning, she, was, she wasn't able to do what she did to make her money. But I still would have to go to the city and do my hustle anyway. So regardless, at some point, I would have to shoot out to Manhattan. I would make some quick money. We would all get well. Then we would come back to the house. And then it would be a late start to that day. If she had stuff in the morning to get well enough to do the work that she did, um, it, it would start whenever she woke up. Also, you know, there was calls that were, like, scheduled. You know, she had regulars, you know, L like people that went on lunch breaks and stuff like that. You know, there, there was regular faces. There's a lot of people that were just there once and never came back, you know. It's just it's just how it is. There, there, it was um, a lot of traffic going in and out of that house. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Now, you talked about this before, but there's this rumor out there that, you know, you guys were pimping. She was supporting your whole drug habit. So t tell us about that. Okay. So not only is it impossible, it's ridiculous. It's not, it's not possible because remember, there wasn't just heroin involved. There's also cocaine involved. There's also alcohol involved. There's cigarettes involved. You have gas money involved. You have train tickets involved. You have rent involved. You know, there's a lot of money that, that's being spent. And three people's drug addiction that is using two, two and a half bundles a day on top of a gram of cocaine a day on top of you know, whatever else, you know, it's not realistic. You've addressed this issue of you're all chipping in, trying to meet bills, trying to put food on the table, trying to not get dope sick, right? Oh, yeah, but I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was a struggle, you know? We, we, we were doing this well. Money was flowing from three different angles. Yeah. You know, we, we were living good. We, we really were, you know? And if one person didn't make money that day, two people would cover that person for the day. You know, it, it wasn't like you owe me this or you owe me that. Sure. Me. It's not like that, you know? We're just, it was just, it was a little family, you know? Everybody bought, brought what they had to the table, and we shared, whether it be food, our clothes, drugs. But the one thing we did share was the love for one another. That was real, man. You know, all of us were really tight, and me and Amber were very close. Very close to this girl. Well, what can you say without going into detail about, you know, you said you were running your hustle in, in the city getting your side of things. Can you tell us any more about that? No, 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 I, I, I wasn't selling drugs. So uh, I, I don't care. I'll go into detail, whatever. It's misdemeanor stuff. So I go boosting. I would I would hit Long Island CVSs and stuff like that. I would take a bunch of, you know, I'm not talking. If you, Look, if you're going to take one deodorant, you might as well take the whole rack because it's the same charge. And now for every two female Dove deodorants, I'll get $5. Hmm. So I would hit every CVS and Rite Aid all the way from, you know, and whatever, you know, supermarkets, steaks, high, hot commodities for bodegas. And that's how I would hustle. That's how I made my money was boosting from these stores and selling it to fences in the city. And then one other thing. So with you and Amber were friends, but did, were you ever boyfriend, girlfriend? Were you kind of, you know, like interested no, we, some what was that like no we we never had a we never had a sexual relationship you know we were just really tight you know real close friends there was a lot of times dave would fall asleep on the couch that was like his 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 main thing sometimes we all piled up in the same bed me and amber always slept in the back bedroom always dave preferred the living room it was just he likes the big tv in there just what he did you know he has his xbox and he goes to sleep eventually me and amber would go into the back and go to sleep in the same bed you know have me and amber ever like you know held each other and like you know of course you know she's a dear friend of mine but when it comes to being boyfriend and girlfriend or me engaging in any type of sexual activity with her 
that's not what this friendship was. We're real tight, like really tight. I would have no problem telling the world that that was my girlfriend. Sure. You know, I mentioned this to one person. I referred to her as my girlfriend, and this was for Channel 12 News on Long Island when this first happened, and there wasn't any coverage going on really enough to my they, they kept saying sex worker, sex worker, sex worker. And this drove me out of my mind. And so I spoke to an Asian reporter on, for Channel 12 News that does Long Island. And they said, well, how do you know Amber? I said, well, that was my girlfriend. Just so they would come and speak to me. It gets me really upset that I, I had to bring it to that level for these people to come and talk to me. No, I get it. So that way, you know, you, know, you had a connection. You could say, hey, I had a connection, and they'd come talk to you, and you get That was the coverage. one time I – exactly. That was, you know, that was the one time I referred to her as my girlfriend. This is just when the bodies were found. This was all over the news, and all I was hearing was – I was hearing sex worker, prostitute, escort, streetwalker, this, hooker. I was hearing this more than the girls' names. And yeah. it, it drove me utterly insane. I couldn't deal with it anymore. So I needed to try to humanize the person, Amber, and these women. I, you know, I just, I felt obligated. And it was a very short news segment. It lasted maybe three minutes or something like that. And it had no impact at all. And the, the next day they still, uh, boyfriend, a sex worker, you, you know, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So it really, it made no difference. But yeah, me and Amber were never boyfriend and girlfriend. We were good friends. Amber had a desperate need for love and affection. You know, so it, it would be nothing for me to like, you know, we're walking down the street. I'll throw my arm around Amber's shoulders, you know, walk and laugh and talk, you know. You've kind of made it clear like you're not a fan of Kim's, but just explain what her angle was there. Okay, so this is a, this is the thing with Kim. It's not that I'm not a fan of Kim. Um, listen, I'm not a fan of Kim on drugs. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. And like every like me, I'm not a fan of myself on drugs, because I make real shitty decisions. Kim was able to use people to her advantage. Kim is a crack addict. You will spend a lot more money on crack cocaine than you will on heroin. Oh, I see. You know, you, know, you can never get enough crack. But my biggest issue with Kim was I'm sure we'll get towards, you know, as the timeline goes on. I'll explain my biggest issue with Kim later on as we keep going down sure. this timeline. Let's talk about this as far as, you know, there were mostly in calls. And then there were some out calls where I'm sure you would get a call where this person's like, look, I don't want to come to the house, but you come to my hotel room. I'm staying at, you know, in Hopog or wherever. Um, tell me how how those calls came and how you guys decided, like, OK, we'll take this one. So she would get a call. And if somebody didn't want to come to the house, which was really the rule, we wanted them in the house to be able to control the situation better. So. If Amber did get a call and somebody said, you know, will you come to the house? Amber would say no, but I will I will meet you in a hotel room. Yeah. You know, and if and if it was like that, it would just the, the, the conversation would end and it would just that would be that. 
she would wait for another call and there was always another call. So let me ask you this. When, what would you say the percentage was of out versus in? Oh, probably um, easily 85 in to 15 out. It really it wasn't a very big thing. It didn't happen very often. It happened a bit, but it wasn't it wasn't the norm. The norm was for them to come to the house. So before I move on to out calls, you know, are there any more in calls that you want to talk about? You know, you talked about the little scam you started pulling where the guy, like, according to Dave, you ended up running out naked or something. I will say that that's true because I, I, I was there for that. This man, he was probably in his mid fifties, white hair, frail, probably married. He went taking off down the street without anything on. You know, I came to the front door, and I'm like, what are you doing with my wife? And this dude just, his pants are there, his underwear is there. He just ran straight out the door naked, like pushed right right by me and ran out the door. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, no. I'm like, come back, please. I'm like, just get your clothes on. So I ended up having to chase this guy maybe half a block. And I'm like, listen, it's fine. I promise you, like, you know, eye contact. Yeah. I'm not going to hurt you. You got to come back and get your clothes, get your car and go. I feel really bad about stuff like that. You know, like these, this type of things like haunt me. You know what I mean? It's like real scumbag shit. You know, it's being a real dirtbag, ripping people off and stuff like that. You know, I, I don't, I'm a firm believer in karma. You know, what, what you put out is what you're going to get. And, you know, I look back at these, the, you know, these scams and stuff it's just I, I cringe you know I'm like you know what the, what the hell was I thinking you know what I mean yeah but I, I think it's time you know like you're putting good stuff out there I think it's you know forgive yourself man for me a huge part of my sobriety is making an amends with people sure. you know like I said before to you I own the wrongs I've done I got to get the ball out of my court all I could do is apologize if I owe them money, I'll pay them back. And if they want to forgive me, it's on them. Or at least I hope you give me the chance to prove to you I'm worth, I'm worthy of the forgiveness. Or you could just go tell me to F myself and stay out of your life. And that's okay, too. Listen, it's very hard for me to forgive myself. I'm very hard on myself. If yeah. I, man, you know, Chris, if I could go back in time, I would have done so many things differently, you know? But I can't. I could only try and and shoot for redemption somehow, you know? Oh, Canada. A vast, idyllic land filled with beavers, loons, lumberjacks, and polite, friendly folks. We have those things for sure, but there's a darker side to the Great White North, full of mystery, crime, the paranormal, and dark history. Join me, Mike Brown, and co-host Matthew Stockton every Monday for the Dark Poutine Podcast as we tell dark stories from north of the 49th parallel with the Ottawa game covering more international cases. You can listen to Dark Poutine for free wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Listen to the 48 Hours Podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. 
Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. Like I I told you, I, I used to drink and I've been sober a long time. I never got into hard drugs by the grace of God. Who knows where I'd be? But I think what I picture is like train spotting. You ever see that movie? Of course. So, you know, people think that where it's like you guys can't even string a sentence together, but you guys kind of had a, you were kind of functioning addicts, right? Where you kind of had your act together and you're pulling in money and you had a house, but then you'd have to work and you'd do your thing. She'd do her thing. And then, of course, she left time at night to get high and hopefully you had enough for the next day. And so it was kind of a function. Would you say that? Is that how you describe it? Well, for people that have seen train spotting, if you remember correctly, there was no money flow. There was no real money flow. You know what I mean? You were talking about a poverty-stricken area in Scotland. That's right. Remember? So, you know, when money runs low, things are going to be start getting sold out of the house. But I don't, I don't think things were being sold out the house. Like, things like started getting missing out the house. Like, you know, somebody would be over and you know, I, I, I don't know. The house is pretty intact until, you know, we'll get to my arrest. I'm sure that you have questions about yeah. that. But when I came back from Rikers Island, that house changed. The TV was in, the TV was gone. You know, like, you know, th- things were gone. Yeah. It's expensive things. Well, and it's hard to keep that, you know, that like functioning druggie or functioning alcoholic. It's hard to do it if you're an addict, you know. It's, you can kind of keep it going. For, yeah, it's not sustainable. It's not, you know, addiction is not sustainable. And as, as time went by, the drug addiction got harder and harder and harder, you know? Yeah, it's hard to keep it spinning. Do you remember what she could bring in with with a decent day? Amber, on the in-call days, you know, she could bring home, uh, if she saw, you know, you got to understand, most people will spend the extra $50 to get the hour experience. Instead of paying 150, they'd rather pay the 200 and get the full hour instead of 150 for the hour, half hour. So on a good day, Amber could definitely bring in $2,000 on a real good day, easily. On a great day, two th- but you know, $1,500, $2,000 is very, is a very reasonable figure. On a bad day, Amber could bring in nothing because she didn't get a phone call. Yeah. On a mild day, a few hundred bucks. You know? Yeah, and so when, when she had good days, I bet, and kind of what Dave alluded to is you guys would kind of, of course, stock up on some bags. She would take the day off, and of course, then you start running out of product, and then you got to try to balance, juggle all of this so you don't get dope sick, you know? She would take days off, but not too many. If there was a call, I we, see. We, we, she, she would take the call. I mean, trust me, there's, you know, there's days that she, you know, didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it, and she wouldn't do it, you know, it was her, you know, her choice, her thing, she had money, had money stocked up, had drugs stopped up, you know, why not just chill and everybody hang out? Me, I, I loved when dudes didn't come to the house, we go hang out and have fun, you know, it, it bothered me that Amber had to do this, it's a sad scene, it's sad for the worker. Next week on part two, hear more from Bear Brodsky about Amber as a person. He also shares more about her outcalls, their last days in the house together, and the night she disappeared. Thank you again for listening to the List Podcast. 
For more information, please go to listpodcast.com and follow us on all social platforms at listpodcast. This has been a Mopac Audio production. Our executive producers are Jonathan Nauzarden, Jonathan Beale, and me, Chris Moss. Shannon McGarvey is our senior producer. Editing by Tanner Moore. Music by Blake Maples.